thanks be to God that we at least have a medium like this to worship our God, remember his sacrifice for us on the cross, and especially to sit before God's holy word. Thank you, Caleb, for reading this portion of scripture to us. Jewish history tells us that Leviticus is the first book that every Jewish child reads and studies. But let's be honest, Leviticus would not be our first choice, but our last one. Isn't that true? This would not be a book we would eagerly choose to read for our daily devotion or our quiet time. And I agree with you. Leviticus is a, is a strange book. When you go through the book of Leviticus, it contains a lot of rules, a lot of regulations. It talks about different kinds of sacrifices. And our least favorite word or sentence is found in the book of Leviticus, thou shall not. Imagine waking up one morning, one fine morning, coffee in one hand, and the book of Leviticus open in the other hand, and we are sitting for our quiet time, excited to hear what God has to speak to us. And imagine we read this, he shall tear it open by the wings, not severing it completely, and then the priest shall burn it on the wood that is on fire on the altar. Leviticus 1 verses 17. Strange. How do I make sense of this verse? Well, in fact, what is the book of Leviticus all about? What is the book of Leviticus all about? How do you and I make sense of the book of Leviticus? When we open to Leviticus, we should have one word automatically appearing in our minds at all points in time. Listen to me carefully, Calvary Bible Fellowship. The holiness of God. The holiness of God should fill our minds immediately whenever we read the book of Leviticus. The holiness of God. But hold on. Now, please don't switch off. I know that holiness might put us off because it's just too hard. It's not easy at all. It's too difficult. And if you are honest, we often find holiness to also be boring. But let's give it a try, please. Please listen to me, church. Let's give holiness a try. Because in today's sermon, we're going to see how holy God actually is. Not only that how holy God actually is, but how God desires holiness. We're also going to see as to how we cannot and we do not desire holiness. And so God had to become man to now help us attain his holiness. God had to become man so that he can help us now attain holiness. God did not do this by lowering his standard of holiness, but now he's helping lift us up to meet his standard of holiness. That is what the book of Leviticus is all about. I'll say that again. God does not do this by lowering his standard of holiness, but rather by becoming man, he now lifts us up he lifts us all up so that we meet his standard of holiness. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a wonderful thought? That is the story of the book of Leviticus Calvary Bible Fellowship. So my main point for this morning, if you see on your screen, is this. God's holiness exposes man's sinfulness, our sinfulness, and guides us to Jesus for forgiveness. I'll say that again. 
God's holiness exposes man's sinfulness, that is our sinfulness, and guides us to Jesus for forgiveness. These are three aspects you and I should keep in mind when we read the book of Leviticus. So let me quickly highlight three simple truths as we begin our journey through the book of Leviticus. Number one, when we read through the book of Leviticus, we ought to look at God and observe his holiness. That's what the book is all about. Look at God and observe his holiness. The book of Leviticus is thoroughly soaked with the holiness of God. Through every portion, every verse, every scripture, the book of holiness, the book of Leviticus shouts about the holiness of God. But what does it mean when we say that God is holy? What do we actually mean when we say that God is holy? Now, the holiness of God or God's holiness suggests this. Number one, God does not sin. Number two, God is separate from sin. And number three, God does not tolerate sin. Look at the screen. I want you to understand this. God does not sin. God is not someone who entertains sin. In fact, God cannot sin. And because God cannot sin, God is someone who lives separately. And because God lives separately from sin, and because he cannot sin, he is someone who does not in any way tolerate sin. That is why when you come to the book of Leviticus, sacrifices was needed. God's holiness, in fact, demanded sacrifices. Because God is holy and man cannot live a holy life, God's holiness demanded sacrifices. We looked at two important verses which Caleb read for us. I'm not going to read the entire passage. Caleb read it to us so wonderfully. But I want us to look at that passage. Leviticus 1, 3 to 9. Notice that the man is involved in sacrifice. Look at his involvement in sacrifice. It is we who is to offer a male without defect. It is we who must present it. It is we who are supposed to lay our hand on the head of the burnt offering. It is we who are supposed to slaughter. We who are supposed to skin the burnt offering. It is your responsibility and my responsibility. Why? Because we do not desire holiness. Because God's holiness demands sacrifices. That's what Leviticus chapter 1 verses 3 to 9 reminds us. But why sacrifices? Why does God's holiness demand sacrifice? Because chapter 4 verses 20 very clearly says, In this way, the priest will make atonement for them, that is the people of God, us, and they will be forgiven. So that the holiness of God, which demands sacrifice, and when you and I now come to God's presence with sacrifice, through this sacrifice, you and I can receive forgiveness. We see various aspects about the holiness of God, not only in the book of Leviticus, but indeed throughout the Bible. Calvary Bible Fellowship, what are some of the truths that we have seen so far in the whole counsel of God? Where, we, where did we see the aspects of the holiness of God? Well, we saw how God punished Adam and Eve because he does not tolerate sin. Genesis chapter 3. We saw how God told Moses not to come near the burning bush. Why? Because the place or the presence of God is holy. Exodus chapter 3 and verses 5. 
We saw how the Ten Commandments were given to the people of God so that uh, when the Ten Commandments were given to the people of God, God warned the people against coming close to the mountain. Why? Because again, the place or the presence of God is holy. Exodus chapter 19. In fact, the Ten Commandments was given by God so that the people of Israel, by looking, observing the law, they would live holy lives. That they would live holy lives. And two weeks ago, we were reminded about the tabernacle. We were reminded about the presence of God. So the tabernacle not only denotes the presence of God, but also promotes holiness among God's people because God is holy. I'll say that again. The tabernacle not only denotes the presence of God, but it promotes holiness amongst the people because God is holy. But this is not a truth found only in the Old Testament. This is a truth we also find in the New Testament. We are New Testament believers. So when we read the Old Testament, what has been concealed in the Old is revealed in the New. So does the New Testament talk anything about the holiness of God? Oh, yes. There are so many verses we can take, but because of the lack of time, let me highlight two verses. Number one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 7. What does it say? It says to us, the people of God, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. God did not call us, the people of God, to be impure, but to live a holy life. Not only 1 Thessalonians, but it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 to 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. But brothers and sisters, this morning I want to also share as an encouragement. The holiness of God does not need to frighten us. No. The holiness of God does not need to cause fear and anxiety within my heart. In fact, yes, it's true. The holiness of God is what surrounds his throne. His throne is full of holiness, but it is also a throne of grace. The throne of God is full of holiness, but it is also a throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 16, it says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that you and I may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Dear friends, family, those of you who are attending the service for the very first time, what would be your greatest need this morning? Is it the need for a holy God? Is it to strive for holiness? Is it the Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Whatever may be, whatever may be your greatest need this morning, approach that throne. It is a holy throne, but it is a holy throne that is full of grace because God promises to provide whatever your greatest need is. Well, how do we look at God and now practice holiness? That is what brings me to my second point. We not only look at God's holiness or not only look at God and observe his holiness, but number two, we also need to look at ourselves and admit our sinfulness. 
We not only look at God and observe his holiness, but when we go through the book of Leviticus, we look at ourselves, <coughs> sorry, and we admit our own sinfulness. Our lives is full of sin. The book of Leviticus tells us that God is a holy God and that God, because he is holy, he does not tolerate sin. And because he does not tolerate sin, he must punish sin. Because God does not tolerate sin, he must punish sin. Now, listen to this statement very carefully. God decides what the punishment is for sin because God decides and determines what sin is. God decides what the punishment for sin should be because it is God who determines what sin is. When we go into this world, when we talk to the people about the Lord Jesus Christ, and when we bring up this concept of sin, many people would say, well, I am not a sinner. Well, in their own eyes, they don't feel. But it is true of you and me as well. There are things that I do that I think is absolutely all right. I don't have to give an account for it. There are things that you might do that you think is absolutely fine. But God is the standard of holiness. God decides the, 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 the price of the punishment of sin because it is God who determines what sin should be. Now, according to the Bible, according to God, listen to this, sin is breaking his rule. Sin is lowering his standard. Sin is going against his commandments. And that is why in the book of Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, the Bible so clearly reminds us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that you and I were born in sin. And because we were born in sin, because you and I have been given the certificate of sin the day that we were born, you and I can never meet the standard of God. And that is why it is very important for us to realize that when we sin, we sin against God. <coughs> Sorry. That when we sin, we sin against God. That when you and I commit a sin, our sin is towards a holy God. Remember how Joseph responded to the temptation by Potiphar's wife? We've studied this a couple of weeks back. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Genesis chapter 39 and verses 9. Well, in fact, this is how David responded in Psalm 51 and verses 4. Against you, you alone, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Brothers and sisters, the sin or sin has a high cost. There is a price that needs to be paid. And the only price of sin, the only price that can be paid by sin is death. That's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 very clearly says that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Anybody born in sin, anybody in sin, anybody dying in their sin, living without God, is a person who will have to pay the price of sin, and that is death. And that is why now in the book of Leviticus, we see that an animal has to take the sinner's place. The animal has to be killed. The animal has to be slaughtered. The animal now becomes the sacrifice. But over a period of time, the Israelites took advantage of this. 
what did they think? Well, as long as I offer an animal, as long as I sacrifice an animal, I am all right with God. As long as I pay money, buy the best sheep in the market, produce it before the Lord, slaughter it, put its blood all over the altar, I am doing all right with God. Sacrifice loses its meaning when there is no change of heart. No, that's a very strong statement, but that is a true statement. Sacrifice loses its meaning when there is no change of heart. There was an act, but there was no meaning. Now, Isaiah chapter 1 verses 16 to 17 graphically explains this. Isaiah chapter 1 verses 16 to 17. It explains this so very well. Now, listen to what it says. Look at what the Lord God, the Holy God says. The multitude of your sacrifices. What are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons. Sabbaths and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon, feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Scary, isn't it? Well, after we listen to this portion, after we read this passage, we now best or better understand why Jesus reacted the way he did that day at the temple. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't we do the same things? Friends listening to us right now, don't we do the same things? Hasn't church just become a ritual for us sometimes? Isn't it true that now it's much more easier because it's online, I need to only wake up, I only need to brush my teeth, I only need to sit, I only need to be part of the worship, that it doesn't matter if I am a member of the church, it doesn't matter if I don't invest in people's life, it only matters if I come and I get what I need. Isn't it true that you and I cheapen worship with our praises, but unrepentive lives. Isn't it true that we often put God to the test and we say, prove yourself, God? Isn't it true that we struggle in our faith and yet we blame our situation and circumstances? Isn't it true that you and I many a times can be even part of a church, but we are not born again? So what should we do? Well, if you look at Isaiah chapter 1 and the portion that we read, verses 16, verses 16 says, wash and make yourselves clean. Wash and make yourselves clean, which means repent. Now, repentance promises forgiveness. Now, listen to me. Forgiveness comes through Jesus Christ. Repentance means forgiveness. And forgiveness can come only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is my third point. Look to Jesus and receive God's forgiveness. That's also an important aspect when we read through the book of Leviticus. We not only look at God and observe his holiness. We not only look at ourselves and admit our sinfulness. But number three, 
The book of Leviticus reminds us to also look at Jesus and receive God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That is what we did this morning. We remembered the great sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. But listen to me. In the book of Leviticus, through the sacrifices, we understand one important thing. Sacrifices in itself does not take care of sin. It cannot. No matter how many bulls you bring, no matter how many rams I bring, no, many, no matter how much, how much of blood we shed at the altar, it cannot take away sacrifices because there ought to be a change of heart. Or as the psalmist says in Psalm 51 and verses 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God is not interested in sacrifices without meaning, but he desires sacrifices that comes out of a change of heart. He is looking for hearts that are willing to change and now follow Jesus Christ. But this is not humanly possible. And so Jesus had to come into this world and take our place on the cross. He had to pay the price. He had to die in our stead. He is the one who took the place of the animal sacrifice. And so Jesus now becomes the ultimate and timely sacrifice. One of the best ways how you and I can enjoy the book of Leviticus is read it along with the book of Hebrews. Because whatever is impossible in the book of Leviticus is now made possible in the book of Hebrews. Read it together, side by side. It will make beautiful meaning. Because when we go through the book of Leviticus, you and I will begin to understand how holy God is, how awful I am, and what can I do? And then you come to the book of Hebrews, you see how Jesus makes all things possible. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 12, uh, 11 and 12, and then verse 18. It says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. When this priest, that is Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. That is the beauty of the word of God. Well, just as how the animal had to be pure, just as how the animal had to be without blemish and clean, these are characteristics that fit only the Lord Jesus Christ. These are characteristics and, that, and traits that fit, the Jesus, fit Jesus. And so Jesus was the only sacrifice that would save you and me. And just as Romans chapter 5 and verses 8 reminds us, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you and for me. Well, if any of you chooses to believe in the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, if we are to believe that he is the ultimate sacrifice, we are to confess our sinful, shameful state. And if we are to declare our willingness to receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we are born again. This is the gospel. This is what we want to proclaim to you this morning. 
The whole world this morning celebrates a risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the risen Savior promises us the benefits of the gospel. The gospel is what sets you free. And this is the gospel that now becomes our standard of living. Well, in the Old Testament, when you read the book of Leviticus, the people of Israel had to do this, had to do that. And it was impossible. Nothing would take away their sin. You come to the New Testament and you believe in Jesus. You receive the Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. The gospel now sets us free. The gospel helps us understand how God became man. He lifts us up. He helps us to meet his holy standard. And I wonder if there is anybody here who is willing to receive the Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. But CBF, Calvary Bible Fellowship, brothers and sisters, born-again believers, once we have entered into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we now ought to pursue holiness. Now, that's the important aspect about holiness. Forgiveness from sin does not drive us back to sin. Forgiveness by the Lord Jesus on the cross does not say, well, my sin is taken care of. Now I can sin some more. No. In fact, Forgiveness that comes from the Lord Jesus should push you and me to now pursue holiness. Going far away from sin guarantees that we are, we are growing closer with the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me be honest, but say this with so much of love for each and every one of us. If holiness is not a pursuit, there is something wrong in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the moment we come to the cross, the moment we ask for forgiveness, our hearts ought to fill with thankfulness and joy that now we are willing to turn around and pursue holiness. Well, if any of us are struggling with holiness or pursuit of holiness, all we need to do is reach out to someone. Talk to any one of us. Talk to the elders of the church. Talk to us so that we can help you understand that turning away from sin means now to pursue holiness. You and I can do this by encouraging one another to pursue holiness. And how can we do that? That is by asking gentle but firm questions about our heart, our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, and our thought life. And our thought life. You and I should develop a culture in our church where we not only ask each other, how are you doing? But we can also ask each other, how was your heart this week? We don't have to judge anyone and we don't have to fear judgment. We could probably even talk to someone by saying, brother, sister, this is how I struggled this week. Would you have an encouragement for me from God's word? That's how we pursue holiness. Let me say it like this. We should be contagious in our holiness. <laughs> That does not mean that we spread the virus to one another. No, but we should spread holiness. We talk about holiness with one another. When we meet, when we greet, when we message one another. Yes, it's good to ask, how, is the, how are the kids doing? How is our dog? How is the car? How is work? But at the end of the day, it's also good for us to ask, how has your walk been with the Lord? How can I pray for you? How has your pursuit of holiness been? The author of the book of Hebrews uh, sums this up perfectly in chapter 3 and verses 13. Hebrews chapter 3 and verses 13 says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's 
deceitfulness. This is our responsibility. It is the responsibility of the church. Encourage one another. Notice, it does not say judge one another, pull one another down. No, encourage one another. How do we do that? Talk with one another, show love, care, compassion. So that none of us may be caught by the deceitfulness of sin. None of us will fall under doubt, anxiety. If any of us is not pursuing holiness, we can help each other pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. How can we do this? How can we pursue holiness? Remember the three points that we made in the beginning? We said that how do we know that God is holy? Well, it says God does not sin. God is separate from sin. And now God does not tolerate sin. Well, in the same way, I would like for us to take these three points and make it personal by putting our names. But because of the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ given to me on the cross of Calvary, because I am born again, Jobin does not sin. Jobin is separate from sin and Jobin does not tolerate sin. But let me just clarify something. The moment we say we should not tolerate sin, the church should not tolerate sin, it makes us uneasy, doesn't it? We have this mental picture of moral policy, uh, policing. People walking around, catching each other's collar and saying, don't do this, get out. That's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. Well, think of the coronavirus that we are struggling with right now. The second wave is all may, almost here. Looks like we might go through another lockdown. Well, does that mean we, when we say we do not tolerate the coronavirus, does it mean that we will no longer talk to each other? No, there are precautions that we ought to take, right? We wear a mask, we sanitize. If you were to meet each other in church, we were to you know, give our fists to each other social distancing. Well, that is what it means not to tolerate sin. It does not mean we cut off fellowship with one another, but we take precautions. We take precautions in our own lives and we also are careful to live holy lives so that we do not affect someone else to look at my unholiness and be affected by sin. But we also help one another. Those that we know are affected by sinful living. Only a holy God is the song that we sang. And that song is so beautiful. It beautifully illustrates to us the love that Jesus has for us. Who else would encourage me to call him father? Who else would do that? A sinful guy like Job and John Matthew. It is only a holy God. So when we read through the book of Leviticus, I want to encourage us to do that. Enjoy it. How can we read and make sense of the book of Leviticus? Well, when we do that, let us enjoy the holiness of God let us be reminded of the sinfulness of man, of ourselves. Or let us rejoice in the victory and forgiveness that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you that you are a holy God. There is truly no one like you. Father, we thank you that you are separate from sin. And Father, we admit right now that we are sinful, unworthy, nothing that we can do to ever enter your presence. But we thank you, Father, for sending us the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus died for our sins on the cross and because of which now we have a way to go back into the presence of the Father. And so, Lord, we pray because of the gospel that we would pursue holiness, that we would look at our own lives and pursue the holiness of God. 
Father God, enable us also to pursue one another to achieve holiness in their lives. Thank you, Father, for the book of Leviticus that reminds us of the forgiveness that we receive through Jesus. And we thank you that every day that we are being made more in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that this will happen until you come. And we know that today can be the day that you come. And if you are to come, what a joy. What a joy. Because we will see you face to face. Oh Lord, if you choose to tarry, as we were reminded, enable us to encourage one another as long as it is called today so that none of us, CBF, this family, friends, none of us will be caught by the deceitfulness of sin. We cannot do this on our own and yet we believe we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So take all the glory, take all the honor. Thank you, Father, for your son and thank you, Jesus, because of you, we have access to the Father. And thank you, Spirit, for your continual work in and through us. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer. In Jesus Christ's most holy, precious name, we ask and we pray. Amen. God bless you.